0: Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I interview a fellow podcaster and Anglican, Jonah Sauer. Hello, Jonah. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Good. Well, before we get going, Jonah, would you mind giving us a background as to, you know, who you are, where you're from, just kind of your, just a a brief two, three minutes about Jonah Saller?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I I was born and raised in Northern Illinois and lived there for about 24 years of my life. Moved to Arizona about a year ago to uh, begin an endeavor in church planting within the the Anglican Church. So I'm currently a postulant within the Missionary Society of St. John the Evangelist, which is um, a missionary society that is canonically resident in the ACNA. So planting a church through them. And that's pretty much what I do. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I run a, a podcast called mere Catholicity podcast, and it's really focused and aimed at building ecumenism and having discourse, uh, with various Christian traditions, as well as kind of building apologetics around, uh, Anglicanism. So.
0: That, that's a brief summary of me. So for some of us that are Anglican, or would you mind defining postulate, just kind of go back and l- translate what you said, um, just so right. You know, for the lay person.
1: Yeah. So basically a postulant is, is somebody who is pursuing ordination within the Anglican uh, church. And there's kind of three different phases. There's like your aspirant phase, which is where basically you're discerning, um, there's your postulant phase where you've basically been approved for beginning the process of ordination you're actually in the process and then you move on to what's called an ordinand which is basically once you have a scheduled date for your ordination that's the final phase before you become either uh, a deacon or a priest depending on where you are in the ordination process okay so
0: awesome well jonah one of the things that you have been getting into recently on your podcast is the sacraments and you know being Anglicans, that is something that's really important for us and you know there's even a bunch of disagreement between different as you know how many sacraments there are in x y and z and you've been doing a lot of talking especially around sacramentology and the importance of the sacraments and our worship and so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about I've gotten a few questions as to you know what sacraments are and not to be dogmatic and say you know this is what you should believe about you know these are the sacraments there's only two of them or there's only seven of them but if you could just kind of go down and explain you know what, what the church has historically believed about what the sacraments are what they look like in today's modern church kind of go through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so sacraments, I mean, I really like the Augustinian definition, which is basically that a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. And and I think that is a a very basic uh, working definition that we can use to, to better understand the purpose of a sacrament in the life of the church. So basically, the idea is God makes promises to his people, and the way that he visibly seals these promises is through sacraments so a good example uh would be the eucharist or baptism these are kind of seen as the two chief dominical sacraments within the church dominical just meaning christ's sacraments that we see explicit uh manifestation of him establishing within the new testament and you take something like baptism right the the visible sign would be the water that's the visible sign and the what it signifies is the washing of regeneration So we are taken in the water, we are put into Christ's death, and we are then raised into newness of life. And so what the water symbolizes is also communicated through the Holy Spirit in the sacrament. And that's the same with the Lord's Supper. You have bread, you have wine, those are the visible signs, and the invisible grace is the the spiritual benefits of Christ's actual body and blood in, in the Supper. Uh, So that's kind of a, a basic working definition. And I'll just go on to say, too, that the purpose of sacraments in the church is really for our salvation. It's for the strengthening and the edification of the saints. We are baptized into Christ, and this brings us into union with the church. And then the Eucharist becomes the means of sustaining us throughout our Christian life to sanctify us and conform us into the image of Christ. So the sacraments are used by God as a means of grace to sanctify and to ultimately bring us to everlasting life.
0: On a anecdotal note, being a police officer, I always say that it is like living life on steroids. The amount of trauma and Wild events and just all this, you know, craziness that you get thrust into all the time. It wears on you a lot because Mm. um, the average person has three critical incidents in his life. So that's a bad car wreck or that's, you know, doing CPR on your dying mom, uh, you know, something that's pretty major average person, two to three in the United States. And the average police officer after a career of 25 years, I mean, it, it's up like 7,000. It, it's ridiculously high. And so being a police officer, you have a constant wear and tear on your emotional state because all the time you're exposed to these bad, terrible things that happen. A lot of times, if you work in a bigger city, then you're exposed to that even more because of just the amount of crime and depravity and the amount of violence that you're exposed to. And so one of the things that I have noticed is that that especially tends to drive people. And we've talked about this a bunch that drives people towards, towards nihilism or towards Mm -hmm. substance abuse. And, in one of the the previous episodes, we talked about how we have to have certain rituals to realize that we are part of a greater story, and that keeps us from becoming nihilistic or becoming a substance abuser. And personally, me as an Anglican, the Eucharist is so crucial for me because as a police officer, we don't the advent of 21st century jobs has not really struck policing yet there. We can't do stuff through a computer you know, during COVID. We were out on the street during all the, the protests during George Floyd out on the street. You know, we, we can't just work from home. We actually have to be out there. It is necessary part of our job that we actually interact with the community and doing that. We are interacting with sin and depravity with all five senses. It's not just that we get to, to see it on the news. We actually, you know, unfortunately, we get to smell a dead body. We get to hear a dead body. We, in, we see it in person, touch a dead body. And so the reason that the Eucharist is such a, is so important and crucial. I think that especially for people that work with all five senses in a stressful environment, and uh, you know this can apply to nurses, teachers, this can apply to firefighters, you know EMS, is that you know, we interact with the world with all five senses. The Eucharist involves all five senses. It is the form and matter that embody our Savior, and it's the way that we receive Him through our senses. And so I I just think that it is just so necessary for police officers to constantly go to the Eucharist and and not just be a, a, you know, once a year thing or that you, you're actually engaged in it as much as you can. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. And I think you're really, you're really touching on something that's absolutely absolutely essential and that is the fact that we are embodied and since the incarnation even more so there is a sense in which matter is is now being redeemed through christ and so if we are in professions where there is an exposure to a lot of evil a lot of wickedness a lot of sin it can be easy to lose sight of the reality of the incarnation and what that what the implications are for how we then are to live in this world and how we are to exist in this world and the denigration of matter um, like you said this kind of nihilism can very very quickly and easily sneak in where you just almost lose lose your grip with reality itself uh, as having any sort of real meaning or purpose and the eucharist not only does it sanctify, as I said earlier, but it actually orients your your view of the world. It really does. It takes you from a place of chaos and brings you into a place of objectivity, of holiness, of beauty. And it does so in such a way that in a real, in a very real sense, and this is if I could make one thing clear, I think it's this. The visible sign of the invisible grace isn't Always simply the sacrament, but the sacrament itself like extends out into kind of a sacramentalized worldview in general, right? Where the Eucharist on a small scale, and I say small scale, kind of tongue-in-cheek, is the body and blood of Christ, but on a large scale, the Eucharist is the church. The Eucharist is the, the cosmos and what God is doing to the cosmos, uniting the divine to the human, right? Uniting the earth to heaven. Like we see in this bread and wine on a small scale, what God is saying, I, I plan to do with the entirety of the cosmos. And when we participate in that, we actually are entering into the new creation. We're entering into this redemptive work that God is doing in the world, which then enables us to go back out into the darkness that still lingers in the world with a sense of purpose, with a sense of meaning, with a sense of really grounding, something that keeps us oriented and enables us to see beyond the chaotic nature of, of fallen creation. So,
0: yeah. yeah. And being a police officer, you are, part of your job is correcting wrong. It it is participating in you know it's it's not the same redemption that god's going to bring to the world once again i'm not saying i'm god I'm not god but being a police officer in some ways you are acting so the nursing department of the university that i graduated from they said that their goal is for their nurses to be the hands and feet of jesus christ in the same way police officers we are very different kinds of hands and feet but we mm-hmm. still are hands and feet. We are an embodied profession, and in some very small way, we are correcting a lot of wrong things to become right. And mm-hmm. so we are participating in that same that same action. You know, we we can't do it on our own. And you know, we have to have. And where I work, we have hundreds of officers, and so you know, I, I can't go fix the whole city myself, nor can all. All the officers that work for our city fix the entire city. There's always going to be crime. You know, we're well over a hundred thousand calls already, and it's not the and it's only September. And so, you know, stuff happens just constantly. But we, the Eucharist, re-centers us back on that redemption and knowing that there is purpose in the world that we're not just doing this out of vain and even though we may not see that redemption in our lifetimes you know we are we are still participating actively with our bodies in that hmm.
1: just if i could really quick too yeah, I, I just to that i think it's also really important to to draw out even the imagery surrounding the eucharist and the way that churches are designed usually the altar is placed in a position of elevation in the church. So there is a sense in which there is an ascent that takes place to the altar of the Lord. Um, and this, this ties back to all of the, the different passages of scripture, uh, where mountains are used as a motif to describe this pattern of ascent. And the whole picture with mountains, right. Is, I mean, even just picture somebody who's a seven foot tall guy versus a guy who's five, one, like, The seven foot tall guy has a better vantage point than the five foot guy. When we climb higher, when we ascend higher, when we go to the top of a mountain, we can now see the world more clearly. We can now behold things as they are, so to speak, which then as we come back down from that mountain, orients us now to act within the world in a particular manner that sees clearly. We're no longer seen just from a, a very low vantage point we're seeing from the top of this this mountain. And so the Eucharist is an ascent to the top of the divine mountain to partake of the very body and blood of Christ to receive this this divinity, to to ourselves in some sense, become divine. And when we have that kind of vantage point where we can now see the world rightly, when we come back down the mountain into the world, our ability to then take dominion, our ability to then subdue is going to be that much greater because it's rooted in an objective source. And this, is, this goes right back to the garden. Adam and Eve were placed on a mountain and they were supposed to take the glory of God that abided with them in that mountainous place and bring that out into the whole world to fill the earth with the glory of God. And through sin, they failed to do that. And so what happened? They were driven from their vantage point of seeing things rightly. They were driven down the mountain into the chaotic world below. And I think police officers, they have a unique role in the sense that they are in the chaos of the world a lot more than most people, way more than most people. And so if you're going to ask somebody, how, how do you cope? With being around chaos day in and day out. The only way that you cope with that is by regularly ascending the mountain so that you can orient your vision correctly. So that when you come back down to the chaos, you can see far more than just the chaos. You can actually see the redemption, the point, the purpose, um, and ultimately the objective telos, the objective end to whatever it is that you're doing. So, yeah.
0: I'll say one, I know one police officer who has told me that he, you know, doesn't believe in God and he doesn't have a really even a, a deistic worldview, much less one of a Christian one. And I have had a conversation with him. We've talked here and there about, you know, I, I ask him, you know, what has kept you from going crazy by not having a you know at least a a deistic worldview i would you know once again i would argue you'd have to have a christian worldview to really be sustainable but he said that he looks around the world and sometimes he has a call that you know something really good actually does happen where they, they actually make a good change. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, you and know, being a police officer here or there, I do have these moments where I meet someone that I saw two months ago. And um, I have a really good example when I was in training, I arrested some girl for possession of a stolen car, and a couple of years later I saw her at the the CVS buying groceries and she'd look sober and clean and and she told me, you know, the day that she got arrested, she decided that was the day she was going to change. And I was like, hey, you know, that felt pretty good <laughs> because I actually mm-hmm. made a, a good change here. But the fact of the matter is that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes you arrest somebody and they turn around and, and they go overdose the next week. Or you you just continue to deal with the same person. And There's one guy in this area that I work, and I know he's had at least 47 arrests. These miniature redemptive moments can't be where you find your eternal purpose because they're, they're finite. Those moments end and everyone in the world is going to go up, is going to go up and down and left and right. When it comes to their, when it comes to their, their journey as it is in their walk with the Lord, or even if it's not a walk with the Lord, but you know, walk in their life, there's going to be some up and down, and so you can't find your purpose in trying to find those ups because they're, they're far and few in between. And the more of an urban, depraved area you work, the less of those you're going to find, unfortunately. Right. And so, but that also doesn't mean that you don't do your job, but you what you have to understand is that you are participating in a greater good um, you, you know, right. with your hands and your body. With your hands and your feet. So one of the books that you have talked about on your podcast that because you talked about it, I bought it, is Hans Bursma's Heavenly Participation. So mm. Hans Bersma is an Anglican theologian. Heavenly Participation is a book where he talks about what participation in the sacraments looks like. And not diving into theology or the Hans Bursma or in, in his his academia. One of the really profound quotes that I found at the very, very beginning of the book is quote, both Protestants and Catholics have succumbed to the onslaught of a desecrated modernity. End quote. Mm-hmm. Or, or not not a not a desecrated, um, a desacralized modernity. So mm-hmm. a desacralized modernity basically means the removal of sacraments or holiness from the modern world. Um, I, I would argue that in today's culture it's just increasingly more apparent that we don't have holy places or we don't we, we just don't have a, a respect for God there are still people especially you know where i am the american south there there are there is still some of that but it does decrease and so one of the the cultural ramifications of that is that sin is either if it wasn't culturally accepted it's becoming culturally accepted or if it wasn't legal it's becoming legalized so that's the push for a lot of drugs to become legal or that's the push. What just blows my mind away. This is, that really sticks out to me is this push for the acceptance of pedophilia in mm-hmm. modern mm-hmm. society. And I don't know how many, as you, if you're a police officer, you've probably heard of this. And if you're not one, I want to warn you, there is a, it's not a lot of people, but there is an increasing, like an incrementalized push to make this stuff more and more legal. In 2022 in Canada, there was a Supreme Court repeal of a law that required repeat sex offenders to be registered for life on the sex offender registry. Luckily, in my state, if you get on the sex offender registry, you ain't getting off. There's no takebacks on that. But there's also just this increasingly apologist language for pedophilia in academia in higher echelons of government the push for the changing of the word pedophile to the word to using the acronym map minor attracted person being a police officer unfortunately you're confronted with the with the evil Of of this because you see it. One of the calls that I have talked about that has really really affected me is I walked in on a six year old being sexually assaulted in her own bed by a homeless guy that broke in that house, and so I was confronted with the evil that what that was, and unfortunately that was a it was almost like the reverse Eucharist, right? You know, we're going all the way down into this moral pit of, you know, depravity of this terrible, horrible sin. And so it just screams at you that this is wrong. that you have to return to something else. How can we, as police officers, and we've talked about returning to the Eucharist as an obvious example, but how can we guard our hearts from when we're, pushed into these unholy situations these you know terrible dark awful calls
1: Hmm. yeah that's a heavy question i think that one of one of the ways is again uh, not to be super repetitive but to consistently seek the eucharist to consistently seek out holiness and holy spaces as a, as a place to really ground yourself, but beyond that too, I would I would say that there is a there is a sense in which recognizing the world itself as sacramental that can help with this, because I, I could see somebody saying, "Okay, I ascend the mountain, receive the Eucharist, and then descend back into the chaos." That doesn't change the fact that I'm back in the chaos, right? Like. That's true. It doesn't. So how do you actually deal with that? Well, you deal with that by recognizing that even in the chaos, the world itself is sacramental. The world itself functions sacramentally. And so there's never a moment, even in the midst of deep wickedness and darkness, where God is not present. And I know that can sound almost like, how could God be present in some of Mm -hmm. these situations? God is present in that sense of deep moral intuition that comes out in us and i think we need to go deeper than just saying because here's the thing if you're a materialist if you're completely void of a belief that god is the creator of all mankind then when you walk into a situation like that that is just matter operating in a particular way right so, why is there this innate, regardless of Christian or not, why is there this innate sense that this is pure evil? This is wrong? Well, that comes because we recognize that we as humans are sacramental fundamentally. We recognize that we're more than just meat bags, we are participating in something greater than ourselves by our very nature we look at animals and we recognize we're different there's something different here the difference between us and the animals is that we have a very unique sacramental participation in god as his image bearers like that's fundamental to be human to be a human is to be an image bearer i think that the two are synonymous sometimes you'll have people talk about what does it mean for a human to bear the image of god and i think that's a wrong way to ask the que- to frame the question it's not where is the image of God in our humanity? It's that our humanity is the image of God. We are representations of God. And so any moral imperative that we feel stems from a recognition of that, whether explicit or implicit. Hmm. And so when we remind ourselves of that, I think it gives us the ability, I'm not saying it's easy, but it gives us the ability to confront evil and to recognize that this feeling I get of just, this is awful, is actually a tangible reminder of the sacramental reality of, of the world, nature, the universe. And when we can picture that and remember that, that will lead us to more readily and more consciously interact sacramentally within the world that we live. Look at a tree, look at the sky, look at people as they walk past you. And if you start to look at this as participations in God, rather than simply a distinct kind of reality, all of a sudden, everything becomes innately holy and becomes innately worthy of protection and defense and upholding of moral values and things like that. And so uh, Borzma in his book, he's got this little diagram that's that's very helpful. He said, sometimes people can tend to reduce things to kind of an uh x y kind of thing x is pointing to y or x symbolizes y but his argument is that the way that a sacramental ontology ontology just meaning kind of the way you understand things the way you look at the world a sacramental ontology works is that x actually has an overlap with y participates in y -hmm. right and so that is the way that we need to orient ourselves in the world in order to deal with anything and everything if we if we are simply a reality that remains separate from god or a reality that is absent of god then we cannot have any real objective ground and we cannot have any moral imperative and the these feelings of this is evil can never fully find rest we, we can't ever find rest like how do i know that this is evil how do i deal with these feelings how do i deal with the trauma of having to witness things like this you can't actually deal with that if you don't have a sacramental worldview because the sacramental worldview actually gives you a justification for those feelings and then directs your gaze back to the source of why is this evil it's because this is good and this thing that's good is objective. I can see it. And so what, what does that then lead you to? Instead of just sitting there with these feelings, it then leads you back to the pattern of ascension. You then can ascend. Um, and so that that would be my my encouragement. Yeah.
0: The immediate response that I, I know that someone would give to this, who's maybe kind of skeptical, is that, you know, well, if if I look at the world, it may not appear to be natural to me to look at the world through a, participatory lens you know through where we are participating participating in everything Um, because you may believe that we are we're mere observers of the world around us and if you believe that our if you have a completely materialistic worldview where you believe that the world around you functions the same as if you were not observing the world unfortunately that actually is incorrect have you are you familiar with the the double slit experiment you heard about this and how it relates to... i don't
1: think so actually no
0: okay <laughs> so this blew my mind when i was in college or no when i was in high school i first started learning about some quantum mechanics here or there and then i dug back into this when i was in college because this is this is just fascinating trying to explain it is a little rough so i'm but I'm gonna try to get through it. <laughs> so, light itself it works like a wave, and it also works like a photon, like a molecule. So um, that's why when you shine a light, it it kind of spreads out. It doesn't like just go straight. If you spread out, 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 out like a flashlight, mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a cone around it. And so, but when you condense light down, it works almost like a molecule. Like it, it becomes one time, one photon that's in a time space by itself. Like it's condensed down. And so these scientists first in the late 1800s shot individual, I don't want to say it was individual photons, but it was individual groups of photons through two slits in a piece of metal and they thought because they were shooting the photons through the double slits that this is where they first learned that light can act like a wave and so it actually had there was crossover patterns when they looked at the end of where the light was projecting so if you look it up there's a really famous picture it was called the double slit experiment and where you can actually see the, the light kind of all across. It almost makes a wave pattern where you can kind of see where the two waves intersect as it spreads out between these two slits. And, well, they, they wanted to figure out why that was, you know, and, and if they could condense down the the light and try to find the light at where it was in a certain point in the experiment. So they actually observed they, they had some kind of mechanical observation device where they, they used it to observe the light that was passing through perpendicular to the observation device, and they realized that they weren't getting the same interference pattern when they observed the experiment, or, or when they didn't observe the experiment. So when when mm-hmm. there was a, a device introduced, it actually changed how the experiment itself the results of the experiment itself. And so it showed that by a mere participation in the experiment, it had changed the experiment. And wow. so that's how the world around us functions, even at a quantum mechanics level, that our mere participation does influence the tiniest, smallest molecules around us because our participation in the observation of them matters. And so that, that's my response to when someone tries to say that we're only, we're only just materialists and that you you could just remove yourself from a situation. And it would, and if you're just to observe things around you, it, it would happen the same way as if, as if you weren't there. Hmm. And so that, that kind of just, that proved to me that, you know, our, our way of being is participatory. We want to work with others, and right. as a police officer, this makes even more sense because your backup means so much. Um, you know, you always want to have people with you doing things and working together cohesively.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I just 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 to that, what's what's very interesting is um, you know in Genesis when it talks about God creating the image of God, it says specifically. Male and female, he created them. And this has led some theologians, uh, probably most famously, somebody like uh, Karl Barth, to argue that the image of God is actually the relationship between man and woman and man and God, and that the image of God is fundamentally relational and participatory. And I don't agree with necessarily all of his conclusions, but I do think that there is something to that. The idea that to be the image of God fundamentally means that we are in relationship that we're in participation with one another and therefore we can't have this idea that our interaction with the world and with others in some senses neither here nor there. It matters immensely because it's actually built into the way that God designed um, his image to
0: function. So we, we've talked a lot about being in the sacraments and going to Eucharist and next y and Z even you know one of the problems of being a police officer, is that you? You we work twenty four seven. We're always working. The way that shifts work for our department, you know, we have a day shift, a second shift, and a third shift. And even if you're working day shift, in a lot of departments you either get one weekend off, or you get in, in a month, or you get every other weekend off. You know, you're unless you're a detective or you're really high up, you're not working bankers hours. But even when you're working bankers hours. You're on call. If you're any kind of anyone in the police department, if something wild happens on the weekend that you're going in, and so one of the problems that police officers have is that we're not able to go to the to the sacraments and be in church a bunch because we're working all this these weird times. Do you have any suggestions about habits that we can we can have? we can't get to church or we need to sleep because the next day we work. What are a couple of habits that we can do to help sustain us as we're in our breaks between going to, to receive sacraments or to participate in the sacraments?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that fundamentally anything and everything that we do should be an attempt to bring our minds and our hearts and our bodies, our senses, everything into a greater conformity to the reality around us. So I am a huge advocate of adopting practices and habits that that are very sacramental and very tangible. So I would encourage, uh, this is something I do, I carry a pocket cross with me that has a, a small relic in it and this for me is just a tangible reminder when I when I hold it in my hand a very physical reality. There's a tangible reality, a tangible reminder of Christ, of holiness that I carry with me at all times. And I could see that of being great comfort to somebody. The rosary, another great example of of a devotion and a practice. The reason that we don't just pray extemporaneously but we actually pray with prayer beads and we pray these written and wrote prayers is because they again draw our minds into this sacramental participation these beads are, have meaning they have significance and so it's not simply oh i'm just playing around with wooden beads no no you're actually touching matter that has been redeemed by christ and has been set aside for a holy purpose and with all sacraments that's ultimately what happens right the bread and the wine that are used in the holy eucharist It's common bread and common wine, right? Until the consecration. And then at that point, when it is set aside for holy use, it becomes divine. It becomes a participation in the body and blood of Christ. The same way, the water of baptism could have been drinking water, could have been washing water, could have been something, but it is set aside for this holy purpose and now becomes sanctified as an actual means of regeneration. And so in the same way, these rosary beads these pocket crosses these various things that we can take with us on a very individual personal level they are set aside for holy use and by using them by grounding ourselves in them it helps to orient ourselves towards the sacraments and in a real sense uh, enables us to participate in them and then i would just say too one of the most helpful and this is going to be my anglo catholicism coming out very strong but one of one of the most helpful things is remembering remembering the communion of saints because i think that for a lot of people and i can imagine for police officers in particular there's probably a tendency to feel very isolated and alone at times
0: yes Um, (laughs) all the time
1: (laughs) yeah and so because of that i can imagine that like feelings of anxiety, depression, and all of that can can be very, very overwhelming at times. And the, the only way that I have found in my own life facing much less grievous circumstances that I've avoided things like anxiety and depression have been reminding myself that I am surrounded by a communion of saints, both living on this earth and living in the presence of Christ. And so seeking the intercession of the saints is, is essential. They are alive, they are well, they are standing in heaven with us, they are praying for us, and they desire to pray for us. And so I can imagine an officer who's entering a crime scene and is about to maybe witness some very horrific things, taking deep comfort in saying, St. Joseph, pray for me, St. Mary, pray for me. Just knowing that that saint is praying for you, that they're aware of you, and that the whole communion of saints is interceding on your behalf can make a huge difference in not just bringing you out of a place of darkness, but actually, in a real sense, starting to bring you into that place of ascension towards the sacrament, right? Because if the saints have transcended, in a sense, and are above the evil of the world, having now become one with Christ... When we seek their intercession, we are raising our eyes to the top of the mountain. That's what we're doing. And so while it might not be the same as going to receive the Eucharist, it is at least directionally the same way. And so seeking the intercession of the saints and having objects and devotional practices with you that can be tangible reminders of the physical goodness of the world and God's promise to redeem it, um, that, that, that I think... Is fundamentally going to be very helpful. It's been very helpful for me,
0: and because as police officers, you know we are we are interacting with the world with our hands and with our senses, and so you know having those physical reminders means so much. Um, on right. a personal note, I've got a uh, a small pendant of Saint Michael in my vest, and that is intentional because you know our, our vest is what protects us in case you know we get shot, and so. To have him there also you know means it's just a little bit more. Um, well, as we're getting uh, close to the end here, do you have any final advice for police officers or just words of encouragement for listeners of the show? Any words you want to leave us with? And then also, can you give us just a couple or give us where we can find your podcast and your show?
1: Sure, yeah. Well, first, I, I just want to say that I am so grateful to you and to other police officers who who serve our cities and our communities. I'm uh, not to get overly political, but I'm very saddened with the kind of denigration of police work that has taken place more recently um, and has become such a politicized issue. The sacrifices are profound, and I for one do, do not take that for granted. And so thank you for that. In way of encouragement, I, th- I think the, the best thing, again, is just to point to, I, I like Rome's language of this, the Eucharist being the source and summit of the Christian faith. I think that's a really great way to, to put it, source and summit of the Christian faith. And I would just encourage any police officer, if you're a Christian but not sacramental or you have no no interest in God at all, I will just say that I believe you're going to make your job far more difficult than it needs to be. And it's going to be much more difficult to reconcile the things that you see with any sort of objective view of the world, its direction, where it's going, where it's moving. And I think that if we do not grab hold of something to ground us, something objective, something absolute, something that will not fail, we're going to inevitably succumb to the darkness ourselves whether that be through sin or through some other, some other form of darkness, we're going to succumb to the darkness ourselves. And so the only way to engage with the darkness and stare into the darkness, which we all, to a certain extent, have to do, the only way that we can have the courage to do that is if we are carrying with us the eternal light of God. And the only way that we can carry that with us is if we are participating in Jesus Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who has promised to conform us to his image. And if we orient ourselves there, through the sacraments, through the church, through holiness, through pursuing this, as we become more conformed to the image of Christ, our sense of justice will grow, yes, and evil and wickedness will affect us more even, in a sense, but we will be able to recognize it for what it is more clearly. And we will be able to recognize goodness and beauty objectively and more clearly. And I think in turn, that will help us to actually grapple with these things, recognizing that evil does not have the final say. Amen. Evil does not have the final say. And in terms of where you can find me, you can find me basically on social media and on YouTube. It's just Jonah M. Saler, my name. My ministry is called Mere Catholicity. My website pretty much has everything, um, and that's just jonahsaller.com.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Jonah. It's just been a blast. Really wise words, I believe, that you've said for our audience here. Remember, if you have any questions, you want us to address a question, feel free to email remaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's remaining podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at remaining sane PC. Have a blessed rest of your day.